Good morning, y'all. It's good to see everybody this morning. Always love to see everybody. Welcome all our visitors. Just want to welcome all you guys. Uh, as Steve said, our our youth dinner Friday was was really good. We had a really good turnout. It was nice just getting to hang out with everybody. In uh, in May, we'll be having a cookout. Uh, either the third, either the third or fourth Friday in May, we'll be having a cookout. So uh, we'll let get you guys the details of that as soon as we have it available. And tonight. Uh, tonight at our 5 p.m. service, we'll be hearing from Chris Olive from the Chester's Chapel, Hester's Chapel Church of Christ. I knew that sounded weird. I was like, that doesn't make sense. From the Hester's Chapel Church of Christ. Uh, I guess it's just over north of Anderson, close up to the state line. But Chris Olive, he's a fellow student of mine at Heritage, and he's uh, been preaching the gospel for a long time over there. And he's actually from around here. So we'll be excited to hear from him this evening. And then this morning, uh, we've been doing lessons from Paul, and we'll be wrapping that up this week, actually, uh, as we kind of transition into summer. But uh, last week, last week, the main kind of point we talked about last week was this uh, guy who had this, this really big impact on Paul. And he was just one individual, and we talked about the impact that one, one guy can have, how he wasn't an elder or a, a deacon or a preacher or an evangelist. Uh, but he just had a real impact on Paul in supporting and, and kind of uplifting his ministry. And I want to carry that idea over a little bit this week. I want that to kind of be on our minds because we're actually talking about worship. And, and I, and I want to kind of carry that over the impact one person can have as we talk about worship. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. That's where we'll be this morning. Um, I also want to say this is the most balanced I think I've ever seen this congregation. It's really weirded me out. I usually wander this way when I start preaching, so I'm going to have to try and pay attention to you guys, too. So forgive me. I'm not just very unfamiliar. New, but it's exciting. It's good. Um, so anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we're talking about worship. And I, I said I want us to remember the impact that one, one individual can have because uh, everyone pitching in and everyone kind of doing their part is really so much of what the church is about. Um, it, we've had a potluck. Last week, for example, we had a potluck lunch. And I know Paul, if you read the letters of Paul, he really likes the illustration of the, the church as the body and all the members are individual parts of the body, like the eye, the hand, or the foot. But I think if Paul was writing today in the South, uh, he would absolutely use the illustration of a potluck for the church. Because if you think about it, I, I can't think of anything that represents how the church is supposed to come together for stuff more than a potluck. Um, Acts 4 tells us not one of the members uh, said any of the things he had was his own. They had everything in common. They distributed everybody as need. I'm like, well, we did that for lunch last week. That's a potluck. Everybody brings a little bit to the table. Um, but really, when we, seriously, when we have a class, uh, we like discussion because we feel like everybody contributes. Everybody brings a little bit to the table. Um, whenever a church goes out to the community and they, they serve others, you, know, you want to get everybody pitching in. It's not just one person doing all the work. Uh, when we worship, when we worship, it's not one person singing with an audience. Now, Sometimes I like to go off book and you guys will leave me high and dry. But normally, normally, you know, it's, ever, it's not a soloist and an audience. It's everybody pitching in together. It's the, it's the old high school gym poster for the locker rooms, right? Team, together, everyone achieves more. It's really cheesy, but it's, it's true. So if, you're, if, you were, uh, if you heard me earlier, I said turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I know I speak kind of fast. You can't always catch everything. But uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and if you've been to a few weddings where you know 1 Corinthians 13, you're probably a little confused as to how we're going to be talking about worship because 1 Corinthians 13 is traditionally thought of as the love chapter. 
right? We, we read it at weddings. We, uh, it's, it's the love chapter. Paul talks about love. Love endures all things. Love bears all things. Love, love never ends. The greatest of these is love, right? That's, that's the kind of stuff we think about when we think of 1 Corinthians 13. But uh, those are, that is in there, but it's a little more than that. And uh, if you're not married and it's your wedding, you still want to use 1 Corinthians 13 as a, a love passage. That's fine, but I won't stop you. Um, but, I, but I want us to look at it this morning in kind of a new light and see how maybe, uh, maybe we've, we've gotten the wrong impression when we read this chapter. So like I said, uh, I know I said turn to 1 Corinthians 13, but actually go there and then go up about five verses to chapter 12, verse 27, and we're going to read our way into the beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> so it'll be uh, chapter 12, verse 27, and we'll read into about 13, uh, verse 1. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So we've probably heard this passage talked about before, you know, when, when we come together with the body of Christ and, and we all have different jobs, we all have different roles, different stuff we, we bring to the table, and Paul says that's good, that's, that's great, that's, you know, that's all fine and everything, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Let's keep reading, uh, and here we'll be at the start of chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned to death that I may boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the question is, is this about love or is this about worship, as I kind of teased it to be? Well, trick question, right? It's actually about both. Paul is telling the Corinthians, yeah, you know how to teach, you know how to prophecy, you can, you can heal, you can do these, these spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, but I'm going to show you a more better way. I'm going to show you a more excellent gift. And that more powerful gift, that more excellent way is love. Is to fellowship, to worship with one another, to fellowship with one another in love. 1 Corinthians 13, it, it is about love, but I don't really think it's the kind of love that we typically have weddings about. 1 Corinthians 13 is about the love we should have for one another. John, John 13, 35. People, will, you know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Just what Todd read for this morning. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. It's such a key part of, of everything we do. Paul is, Paul is talking about the context of spiritual gifts. That, that's why he ends chapter 12 talking about it and starts chapter 14 talking about it. And again, remember, these, these chapters and verses were all added much after Paul wrote this letter. But the way it's divided now, you'd think, you'd think Paul's just going off about spiritual gifts and worship and then just takes two passages to talk about love as this totally independent thing and then just switch right back to, to prophecy and spiritual gifts. But if you look at it, and if we, we read a little bit past the, the chapter divisions, he's not just talking about orderly worship and the gifts of worship and, and love as these two totally distinct separate ideas. He's saying they should go together. 
love is the more excellent spiritual gift. It's why he says, if I'm the best speaker of tongues there is, or I'm the best worshiper there is, I'm the best song leader there is, but I can't do it from a place of love, it doesn't matter. It's nothing. The next section of uh, chapter 13 is what we would normally read at weddings, but really we could, we could just as easily read it after announcements on every Sunday. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That could, that could just as easily be instructions for how we should behave here towards one another. These are instructions for how all Christians should treat one another. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It says love never ends. Last week, I, I told a story about uh, my grandfather's funeral. And if you remember, I, I didn't necessarily recall the, the prayers that were prayed or his service or the songs that were led or who, who stood up there and delivered the funeral message. And truthfully, I, could, I couldn't tell you. But I remembered the people who showed their love for us. I remember the guy who was at the hospital at the crack of dawn at 4.30 in the member. I remember the families that came by our house in the days afterwards. I remembered the acts of love that people have for us. A guy named Carl Buhner was the first one to say that people may forget what you say, but they'll remember how you make them feel. And clearly a lot of people forgot what Carl said because I had to take a long time to figure out who first said that. I'd heard that a lot, but uh, Carl Buhner... It's true. People remember how we make them feel. I, uh, I, I think of uh, being in a high school locker room at halftime or before a game. You know, no one's sitting in the tunnel after, before a, a pregame pep talk. No one's sitting in the tunnel going, man, did you hear what Coach said about stopping the slot when he comes off on the cover two? That was really good. No, no one's talking about that. You're they're jazzed up. You're excited because you, you just got really hyped up. All you know is how it made you feel. It got you excited. It got you ready. It got you pepped. People remember how we make them feel. And I wonder, as Christians, how often when people encounter us, either inside the building or outside the building, truthfully, when they encounter us, do they remember how we made them feel? Do we, do we make them see the love we have for each other? The love we should have for the people, again, inside the building and out. When we, when we remember our time we spend with each other, it shouldn't be with arrogance or rudeness or insisting on its own way or irritability or resentfulness. It should be with love. We should remember how we made each other feel in that way. We know Christ commanded us to behave with love outside the church. Why would we not behave with love inside of it? Jesus knew he would ascend to heaven and leave the apostles. That's why he told them to love one another as he had loved them, John fifteen twelve. Everything we do, Paul says, be it worship or fellowship or you know, giving to those who are in need in accordance with Acts 4, it should be done not just because it's something that we do. We, we're not just here because we, we feel like that's what we should be on Sunday mornings. We should do it out of, out of love. To do something without love, Paul is telling them, you might as well not do it at all. What's he say? It's like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, I gain nothing. And I think the key here is the moment our, our worship, our fellowship with one another, our, our, our mere attendance, the moment it becomes routine, 
It stops being about love. And I'll explain that a little bit, but I mean, just, just think of it in our home lives. Husbands and wives, we know this, right? That's, some of us, it's the kind of stuff we hear women say all the time. It's, it's, things just aren't the same. Whenever you've been slacking, right? It's just, oh, there's no spark. There's no magic. I, what do they say? I don't feel like you love me anymore. And we're still, we're always confused, right? Because we're like, well, I'm doing all the same things. I'm doing the right things. I'm saying the right things. I'm showing up at the right times. But the thing is, someone can tell when your heart's not in it. People can tell when you're not doing something out of love. And the truth is, when we're doing the same thing over and over for a long time, it's easy for it to become routine. The truth is, when it starts becoming routine, it stops being about love. Our worship and our relationship with the church, our relationship with God, is the same way. We can't let it become mechanical. We can't let it become this thing that we just do. That we, just, we do because, oh, it's, you know, it's a box we check. It's just, a, oh, it's just something we do. Look on to chapter 14. <clears throat> chapter 14, verse 14. Uh, yeah, chapter 14, verse 14. Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. This verse came up uh, several weeks ago in our Wednesday night study when we were talking about worship. And really, it's kind of been on my mind ever since. I, I believe the, the New King James and the NIV both say with my spirit and with the understanding. But the meaning of Paul's words is still the same. It's not enough just to understand or just to know in our minds the, the words to the song we sing or the words to the prayers we pray. If our spirit's not in it. We've, uh, as chapter 13, verse 2 tells us, Paul says that if it, if it is without love, it's nothing. These go hand in hand. If, if your spirit is not in it, if your heart, as we would say, we would say our heart's not in it, well, it's because you're not doing it with love. Paul says, if you're not doing it with love, you might as well not be here. And we've all got a lot going on between Monday and Saturday. I know that. And more importantly, God knows that. But that doesn't really change what he asks of us. We get one day a week for fellowship. Two, if we're really diligent about two Wednesday nights, two. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us, We were once not any people... But now, we are God's people. He says, we were called from the darkness to walk in the light. If nothing else, when we come here in the mornings and in the evenings, if nothing else, when we worship together, we have that, that common thread running through all of us. Some of us might come from different backgrounds, some of us from different families, different walks of life. Most of y'all from northern Alabama, probably, but everyone from their own different place in life. But all of us, in some way or another, have been called from the darkness to walk in the light. That's why we're here. And maybe some of us not walking in the light as much as we'd like to, but, you know, that's okay. If anything, that we're striving together. And we're, we're working and we're efforting to be better and we're all doing that together. We're on the same path. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
Let me ask you something. Has anyone ever tried to sharpen an axe against a tree? Think about that for a second. You ever tried to sharpen an axe against a a plank of wood? No. Did that sound as ridiculous to you, to your ears, as it did coming out of my mouth? Because it just sounded foolish saying it. No. Why? Because wood dulls the axe. Right? To, to, sharpen, to try and sharpen an axe against a, a tree or a stump, it would, it would dull the axe. It takes iron to sharpen iron. What we get here, we don't get out there. What we get in here, we can't get out there. The conversations we have, the discussions we have, the studies we do together. You don't get that out there. You can't get that out there. If you try to spiritually sharpen yourself against wood, you're just going to become more dull. And a dull blade is no good at all. This thing that we do every week, it, it can't be reduced to just part of our routine. It must be a habit, but it cannot be routine. It's too important, truthfully. It means too much. Our work, our responsibility, our duty to one another as the church, to fellowship, to worship together, it's too important. We're reaching the close of our lesson this morning. Before we totally close it out, I, I want to take an extra second as we get towards the end because, our, as I said, our, our work and our desire here is important. And we, in, in everything we do, we, specifically our church, we, we try to model the, the New Testament church. In numerous instances, the apostles are preaching in Acts. In, in chapter 2 or chapter 4, 8 or 17, 19, whenever they're preaching the Word of God in the, in the book of Acts, to the multitudes, people are sometimes moved to change. So along with prayer and and reading scripture and singing songs and and hearing a portion of teaching, we always offer that opportunity for those who are seeking to follow Christ to to make that change, to to change their lives, to put faith in Christ, as Paul Paul teaches in Romans 5.1, to be baptized for the remission of the forgiveness of sins, as Peter says in in Acts 2.38, to receive salvation and walk in newness of life, to start what is a, a lifelong process of growing and learning in Christ, in accordance with Hebrews 5.12. I say all this because the last several weeks we've been talking about the responsibility of the church, of what, how members should treat one another, of what we should do for one another, about the impact we can have on one another. And I want to take an extra second to just talk about what it means to be a member of the church. I want to clarify that the, the invitation and the, the song we do, it's not just a tradition. It's not a requirement. If I left the pulpit when I was done and I just sat down, I wouldn't, I hope <laughs> I wouldn't just get struck down. It's not a, we don't really see it as a requirement for worship necessarily, but it's, we do it because the main work of the church is bringing in people who are lost, who are seeking Christ, and bringing them into the, the flock, into the fold. Today of all days, as we talk about not letting our worship become routine, I just wanted to clarify that, that what we do is, is not just a custom. It's not just something we tack on to the end of any time we hear the word of God, but it's critical to the main work of the church. And in that part, that that call to those who are looking for God, that opportunity for the blind to see or the, the lost to be found again, that of all things, 
definitely cannot become routine. Which is why as we close, if you're, if you're worshiping with us this morning, and that call applies to you, if you're seeking God, if there's something we can do for you in any way, we ask that you make it known at this time while we stand and sing.